Will you turn in your Bible with me, please, to 2 Chronicles? We're going to look at chapter 14. 2 Chronicles chapter 14. We're going to do a fair bit of Bible reading today. We love the Bible, praise God. It is the rule for life. That means when we're looking for what does God say, what does God want, what is God doing, what are we about, how can we explain and understand things, we look to the Bible. Um, In this passage here in 2 Chronicles, these are the chronicles of the kings of Judah. And so what has happened here is, you remember David from the famous story, David and Goliath? David uh, defeated Goliath. They were at war with the Philistines. And he had been anointed to become king by the prophet, a guy named Samuel. And so Samuel heard from God to come and anoint David to be king. And God made a covenant. That means he made an agreement, if you will, um, with David that David would be the king of Israel and that he would always have an heir on the throne. And so David was, the Bible says, a a man after God's own heart. So we often think of that in, in terms of he's a man who followed God with all his heart. But really a better way of understanding that is he was a man of God's own choosing. He was the one that David chose. God chose David. He was a man after God's own heart. God chose through his heart David is a better way of interpreting that. And so David was king, um, but not through easy things. So started off, he was serving the current king, who's a guy named Saul. And Saul had lost his way and was all over the place and doing funny things. And Saul was threatened by David. And so Saul took his army and tried to find and kill David. And so David had been on the run much of his life. Finally, Saul ends up dying in a battle. David becomes the king, and he um, does a pretty good job. He unites the kingdom. It's amazing, prosperous, wonderful. Then he falls into sin. It's really yucky. Um, He's quick to repent, but kind of the damage has been done. And through that sin, he produces an heir named Solomon. And Solomon is a guy who is mixed. He has a mixed heart. What I mean by that is half of him wants to serve God and do great things, and he wants to fulfill all that his father David had desired to do in building the temple, a resting place for God, a beautiful building where the people could worship and, and come and do sacrifices. And so he does that and accomplishes that, but he also marries a lot of women, a lot of women, and gets, becomes very wealthy and imposes strong taxes on the people and works them really hard. And so he rises and rises and rises in status until he kind of loses sight of all that former zeal for God. And instead, he's really more about his own kingdom and what he's about. And in fact, because he's married so many women, and there's nothing against women or marriage because it's wonderful, but in this relationship, he has so many wives, he wants to keep them happy. And so he sort of lets some of the foreigners do their own worship stuff, and it introduces some idol worship back into Israel, and that's not good. And so what is idol worship? Anybody know? Stone, yeah, images, and worshiping anything other than the creator God, the Lord. And so did you know you can worship sugar, can worship television, you can worship an actual image that you make, you can worship your 401k, so you can make idols of different things. In this time period, often what they did was they made an actual image of metal or wood or something, usually it was some kind of like gold or something like that, or silver, and they would make this fine image then they would ascribe God's character and power to that. Because they knew the Lord. I mean, they had seen mighty things he'd done. 
And so instead of saying, though, we're giving honor and glory to God who can't see, they would say, oh, this bowl, this bowl delivered us. Isn't this a great bowl? Let's worship the bowl. The bowl is just and kind and good. And they're taking God's attributes and putting it onto. Now, we laugh at that, don't we? And yet, at the same time, isn't it funny what things go through our heads late at night? Isn't it funny what things keep us up? Isn't it funny what things we have to do every day? You know, some people worship coffee. <laughs> Cannot have a day without coffee. Cannot. My day is wrong if I don't start with it. If I don't go through this specific routine, it's wrong. It's almost religious. And I'm saying that in a kind way, but it's, it can really easily go too far where all of a sudden you're like, if I don't have coffee, I won't make it through the day. Why not? If you're putting your source into something other than God, that's what making an idol is. And everybody's like, Ooh, oh, gosh, don't talk about caffeine. Huh. <laughs> <clears throat> I'm saying that because, you know, it's really interesting how idol worship is. Um, it's seditious, and it gets into us in a weird way. Isn't it weird? Just think about this for a second. The people of God are delivered from Pharaoh and from Egypt. They see plagues and amazing, incredible things happening. They see all this stuff and God's power manifest. They are walking through the wilderness following a divine pillar of cloud that at nighttime turns into a pillar of fire. I mean, it's talking to them. The pillar of fire goes up on a mountain and thunders and anything that touches the mountain dies. The people are terrified. When God speaks, the earth is shaking and lightning is coming down from the mountain. Moses goes up to talk to this God and comes back and his face is shining brightly because he's been in the presence of God Almighty. And what do the people do after a couple days? After a few days, they're like, we're, we're vulnerable here. We're, we're, who are we? We don't have armies. We're, we're just slaves. We don't know how to defend ourselves. How can we protect the kids? What should we do? We need... I, I, you know what? Let's make a fire. We'll throw the gold and maybe something will come out of it. And this calf came out. I don't know where it came from. How it, I just stuck the gold in. All of a sudden it's a calf. I don't know. So that must be God. This is the God who delivered us. This is the God who brought us out of slavery in Egypt. Let's worship him because then we know he's with us. And out of this insecurity of wanting God with us, people are quickly move into idol worship. It's fascinating, isn't it? It's sad, and it's part of being fallen. We're designed to worship. We're designed to honor God. And there's a vulnerability we have sometimes when uh, we feel vulnerable. We feel alone, that we start to ascribe God's power to other things instead of he himself. And so in this story, we're going to find Solomon has died. Uh, this guy, Rehoboam, who was Solomon's son, was a terrible king and did terrible things. He ends up dividing the kingdom, and Israel is, has become half of the country and has become independent, and they're fighting with them. Now he's the king of Judah, and he's trying to regain his kingdom. This is Solomon's son. It goes terrible. Abijah, his, his son, becomes the king eventually, and he uh, does generally okay, but things are not great, and the country is still divided, and there's all kind of problems. And then this new guy, Asa, comes on the scene, and he's going to become the king of Israel. And Asa has seen how God had defended uh, his father, Abijah, through basically civil war and preserved the Judah as its own little kingdom in the south and Israel as a bigger kingdom in the north. 
And so Asa is going to take over. Now Asa, skip around with me here in 2 Chronicles chapter 14. Look at verse 6. He built fortified cities in Judah, for the land had rest. He had no war in those years, for the Lord gave him peace. And he said to Judah, Let us build these cities and surround them with walls and towers, gates and bars. The land is still ours because we have sought the Lord our God. We have sought him, and he has given us peace on every side. So they built and they prospered. And Asa had an army of 300,000 from Judah, armed with large shields and spears, and 280,000 men from Benjamin that carried shields and drew bows. How many is that math, people? 580,000. That's a lot. And these were the mighty men of valor. Zerah, the Ethiopian, came out against them with an army of a million men and 300 chariots and came as far as Merasherah. And Asa went out to meet him. That means they're going to fight in the battle. And they drew up their lines of battle in the valley of Zephtherah at Merasherah. And Asa cried to the Lord as God, O Lord! There is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. Help us, O Lord our God, for we rely on you, and in your name we have come against this multitude. O Lord, you are our God. Let not man prevail against you. So the Lord defeated the Ethiopians before Asa and before Judah, and the Ethiopians fled. Asa and the people who were with them pursued them as far as Gerar, and the Ethiopians fell until none remained alive. How horrific. For they were broken before the Lord and his army. The men of Judah carried away very much spoil, and they, and they attacked all the cities around Gerar, for the fear of the Lord was upon them. They plundered all the cities, for there was very much plunder in them. And they struck down the tenants the tents of those who had livestock and carried away the sheep in abundance and camels, and they returned to Jerusalem. Wow. So in this little story, that, I mean, that, it's like this big, right? This little section that we just read. In this little section, here's a guy. He's a king. He knows of his great-great-great-grandfather, David. Good things, bad things, mostly good. His great-great-great-grandfather, Solomon, built the temple. Man, wonderful, but divided heart, and he's learned we need to just serve God. And then here comes Rehoboam. Rehoboam's foolish, brings the people into idolatry, makes covenants with Egypt. Egypt ends up attacking and plundering all of the house of God and Jerusalem. All these bad things happen. And then his own father, Abijah, does a pretty good job, brings things back, brings the people back to the Lord, but still no former glory. And this guy, Asa, out of nowhere, He's received peace now from God who has preserved Abijah and has preserved Judah. And out of that peace, suddenly there comes this horrible, climactic challenge of authority. And the Ethiopians have decided that they're going to come in and take over. Now, just for comparison's sake, we have 580,000 warriors. That's a lot of warriors. That's a whole ton of people that are going to fight for Judah. But we have a million, a million Ethiopians on foot. That's a lot. And a million fighting men means that there's other people that are supporting them. There's a lot coming across the countryside. And on top of that, 300 chariots. You know one of the biggest challenges of the American Civil War in the United States, for the United States versus England, I know this is history, everybody's like, oh, history lesson. 
1776, we declare independence. Fighting breaks out. The English want to keep the colonies. The colonies are fighting to, to be uh, removed, right? What, what were the American soldiers like, history students? Farmers. Farmers. Yeah. What was their special, uh, what, did they, what were they called? Do you remember? Patriots. Patriots, yeah. The Minutemen. Why were they called Minutemen? In a minute. Like, they'd get the word out, they'd come back together, and then they'd fight, right? But there was one huge disadvantage that they had. And so what were their tactics like? Do you remember? Guerrilla warfare. warfare. Means they hid, they were behind trees, and they'd shoot, and the English were like, what's wrong with these guys? Just fight us. But the Americans didn't want to fight because there was two and a half feet spear and a bayonet at the end of every English rifle that the Americans did not have. They had rifles. They had pitchforks. They had axes. Some of them had swords. They had knives, little machetes. But that giant spear, if you line up against that spear, you got one shot every minute and a half because you got to reload so slow. You cannot fight them. That wall of metal, pokey metal, is coming at you. The Americans could not fight in lines like the British normally would. And so this became part of the American tradition of like scrappers fighting and all this kind of stuff. But imagine now, even with 580,000 soldiers, that's a lot of soldiers, but a million? You're just about two to one, but then they have 300 chariots. Chariots are like tanks. Chariots coming in, you cannot defend yourself against a chariot. Here they come, they're fast, they're big, they're throwing things, they're horses. There is no way in your line that you're going to fight against that chariot and survive. And 300 of them, this might as well be a nuclear bomb. So it's one thing to have a million people. That's astronomical. But if they got a nuke on their side, what do you do? It's the wall of spears coming at you. you you're in trouble. You're in real trouble. This is you jumped too far from the cliff, and you're so deep that you don't have enough breath to get to the top. You're in a lot of trouble. And so what does Asa do? He cries out to God. And he prays this prayer, and he says, Lord, protect us. Lord, help us. Oh, Lord, there is none like you to help between the mighty and the weak. And the Lord delivers the Ethiopians into their hand. You understand this is a total miracle. There's no way, naturally speaking, that Judah should have won. No way. So let's read on in 2 Chronicles 15. Here's what happens. The Spirit of God came on Azariah, the son of Obed. And he went out to meet Asa, and he said to him, Hear me, Asa, and all Judah and Benjamin. The Lord is with you while you are with him. If you seek him, he will be found by you. But if you forsake him, he will forsake you. For a long time Israel was without the true God, and without, the teaching, without a teaching priest, and without law. But when in their distress, they turned to the Lord, the God of Israel, and sought him. He was found by them. In those times, there was no peace to him who went out or to him who came in. For great disturbances afflicted all the inhabitants of the land. They were broken in pieces. Nation was crushed by nation and city by city, for God troubled them with every sort of distress. But you take courage. Do not let your hands be weak, for your work shall be rewarded. As soon as Asa heard those words, the prophecy of Azariah, the son of Obed, he took courage and put, on, and put away the detestable idols from all the land of Judah and Benjamin, and from all the cities that he had taken 
in the hill country of Ephraim. And he repaired the altar of the Lord that was in front of the vestibule of the house of the Lord. And he gathered all Judah and Benjamin and those from Ephraim, Manasseh and Simeon who were residing with them for great numbers had deserted from him uh, to him from Israel when they saw that the Lord God was with him. They were gathered at Jerusalem on the third month of the 15th year of the reign of Asa. And they sacrificed to the Lord on that day from the spoil that they had brought, 700 oxen and 7,000 sheep. And then they entered into a covenant to seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and with all their soul. But, but that whoever would seek the Lord, the God of Israel, but whoever would not seek the Lord, the God of Israel, would be put to death, whether young or old, man or woman. And they swore an oath to the Lord with a loud voice and with shouting and trumpets and horns. And all Judah rejoiced over the oath, for they had sworn with all their hearts, and they had sought him with all their desire. And he would be found by them. And the Lord gave them rest all around. Praise the Lord for his word. What great rejoicing is this? Great rejoicing. Now, some of these things sound um, icky, right? So how many sheep are, are sacrificed? 7,000 sheep in one. This is one day. This is quite a Thanksgiving feast. <laughs> this is quite a barbecue that's happening. And how many oxen? 700 oxen. This is not a small thing. But what did you notice about this? Was Asa serving the Lord before this? Not really. Previous to this, not much was happening. In fact, in order to sacrifice all those oxen and all those sheep, he had to repair the altar first. It was totally in disarray. There were no priests around. There weren't people who were seeking after God. But the Lord, in his kindness, even with the people in disarray, even with the people not worshiping correctly, even with the people having gone their own directions, even with the people having idols everywhere, God is still merciful and saves them from the Ethiopian nuclear war, if, if you will. And so now, with hearts turned toward God, they put away the idols, they repair the altars, they bring their sacrifices to God. They enter into a covenant that is an agreement with the Lord, a, a vow solemnly that they will seek the Lord, the God of their fathers, with all their heart and all their soul. And they're shouting and celebrating. And all of Judah is rejoicing over this, this oath, for they had sworn with all their heart, and they sought him with all their desire. And he was found by them, and the Lord gave them rest. Doesn't rest sound good? You know what's really interesting? Um, we had a great Thanksgiving. It was good. I hope you had a great Thanksgiving. And Thursday was a wonderful day. And, you know, we, uh, because my mom was ill, we ended up having just a roast in the crock pot. And so we'll do Thanksgiving later. So it wasn't a huge meal, but it was a great meal. We had a wonderful time, just Lisa and myself and the kids. And it was great to be together. And we played some games and watched some shows. And we did all the things and put the kids to bed. And then Friday morning, I woke up to a flurry of emails, a flurry of emails of sales and Man, my phone was buzzing every 10 seconds with stuff everywhere, assaulted, just assaulted by advertisements. And I found by noon that I was anxious in the day. And, and I was anxious because I, I don't want to miss the sale. Like it was, there's so much happening and, and I got to find the right thing. And this is the day to do the Christmas shopping, right? This is going to be good. And Amazon has so many things. We've got to find it right now. But oh man, the shipping's delayed. What's going to happen? And, I, and just the day became a day of 
not rest in goodness anymore, but of just angst and anxiety and I don't want to miss it. I got to stay connected. And did you find the thing? And, we, you know, Lisa's texting with her sisters. Hey, did you find this deal over here about this? And I mean, it's just so much. And by 8 o'clock, I was like, I'm done. I'm done with this. I don't care if I miss all the sales. I'm just turning off my phone because I can't take this anymore. And it's really funny how we can have one day of Thanksgiving and rest, and it's so great. And the very next day, be assaulted again by the worries of the world and the desire to try to get ahead. And this idea that you're going to be fulfilled if you have just the right thing. And you know what? That's where the idols creep in. Is this desire to be filled by just this right thing. If you can just be fulfilled by this. If you can just be fulfilled, this will really be your source. If you have this new iPad, it's going to change your life. Suddenly, everything's easy. This is way more comfortable. Your whole life is going to be better. If you have the new car with the Wi-Fi attached in it, Oh, man, your life's going to be better. If you actually, if you just, if you have an extra $80,000 sitting around and you can buy the new car, we'll give you 0% financing for two days. It'll be great. <laughs> and you're fine. You can afford it. You can do it. Oh, man, housing market is hot right now. Sell your house, live in a van that you just bought for $80,000, and then you can get a better house. It'll be great. Then you'll be fulfilled. Then everything will be okay. Everybody will respect you if you have the right Facebook page. If you have the right phone and you pull it out and you've got the right number of cameras, everybody's going to think, that girl made it. She is something. But if you don't have the right phone, God help you because you are out. And this is, this is, the, this is the world. This is the world. And suddenly this desire and this thing creeps in that I, I, have, to, I have to do this. I have to find it. I have to do it right. I need to, I need to make it. If I'm not making it, I'm not going to be okay. The reality is, this is where the idols creep in. And this is where Israel had gotten. They came to this place where they had idols in their homes. They had high places set up for other gods that they were attributing the Lord's power to. They were seeking after other gods for crops. They were seeking after other gods for protection. And then the nuclear bomb comes. And they look at those things, and they are worthless. And they have no power. And Asa the king remembers something from a long time ago, from generations back when his great, 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 great grandfather cried out to the Lord and defeated a giant and unified a nation and got anointed to be king. And his great, great, great grandfather established a temple where the Lord's worship would be. And there were thousands of, of, of animal sacrifice and the people crying out and God's presence was there filling the temple with the cloud and the fire again. He remembered their history of a God who had delivered them from a nation that they could never defeat that the greatest world power of all time known anywhere Egypt was taking them slaves and was going to obliterate them with chariots and God had protected them with a cloud that surrounded them he had made the sea divide so they could walk by on dry land he remembered the God of his deliverance and he cried out and he said oh God oh God you're the one who can save us but you, when all the people were holding their worthless idols. And the Lord responded. He responded because he's merciful. He responded because he's good. He responded because he remembered all of his promises. He responded because he desires a people who are looking for him. And even in the midst of the affliction, even in the midst of all these things, even the prophet says there was great distress everywhere. There were lots of opportunities 
to turn your heart to God. And it took the nuclear bomb. So strengthen your hand. Strengthen your hand. Don't forget. And Asa strengthens himself and casts down all those idols. The very next section that we didn't read yet is even his mother. He takes out of power and makes her not the queen mother anymore because she has all these idols. He brings this great reform. You know, eventually Asa will fail. Asa will get 40 years of prosperous peace and good things. And then another army will come up against him that's big. Another nuclear bomb situation will show up. And he will, instead of crying out to God, he'll cry out to make an alliance with the king of Egypt. Or the, and the Israelites to try to save him. And God will judge him and he will eventually fail. And I tell you that because I'm telling you it's not dependent on Asa or a person. It's not dependent on how good your leaders are. It's not dependent on who's in the White House. It's not dependent on how great your pastor is. It's not dependent on how great your family is and your name. It's not dependent on your bank account. The Lord God has told us if we seek him, if we come to him, if we ask him for mercy, he will save us. And the Lord is so faithful to that, that he is going to send one in this same line. Jesus Christ, who will be born fully God and fully man, totally at the whim of his mother. You know, he actually really needed breast milk from Mary to live. Think about that for a minute. He was really a baby for us. God would send the descendant of David, who would become the great king, who was even at his birth, even before the great king. And this king would not suddenly remember the deliverance of God. This king would be the deliverance of God. He would come and he would himself take on the cross for us, dying in our stead that we might know the righteousness of God. Jesus Christ is the fulfillment of what the great king of Israel was supposed to look like because he is the great king. And he's not a king who's going to change. He's not a king who's going to have 40 years of peace and then fail. He's the one who forever, forever lasting will have the government upon his shoulders and will be our king and our savior and our Lord forever. I'm not just telling you, turn your heart to God and seek him. I'm not just telling you, throw down idols. I'm telling you, come to the one who has proven himself, Jesus Christ. Come to the one king, the one Lord, the one God, Jesus, who died for us, who rose again, who is our peace. And if you have a nuclear war situation happening in your life, or I'm telling you right now, if our country goes into craziness, if it goes into crazy, you know, we just had a great Thanksgiving. And a couple days before Thanksgiving, the Labor Department reported that the U.S. dollar is losing 1% of value every 30 days. We're, things are happening. We're living in a weird world right now. We're living in a place where there's a lot of insecurity and a lot of stuff. And I'm telling you from the word of God, if you cry out to Jesus Christ, our king, he will hear you. He is merciful. Even if you've had idols in your life that you've been looking to and stuff that you've said, this surely is God's power. Cast it aside because he's merciful. And instead say, Lord, I trust you and you alone. And you will find rejoicing like the people with Asa who with their whole desire sought God. And you will find peace like you've never known. Turn with me to Philippians chapter 2. Philippians chapter 2. Right where you're at, just do me a favor. 
Just close your eyes for a second. Do you have a nuclear bomb situation facing your life? Is there something that's keeping you up at night? Is there a thing that you're not sure if you can trust God with it? Is there something that you've been holding on to for so long that you're not even sure if God hears your prayers anymore? Is there something that you are know is killing you? Is there sin in your life that you've not repented of? Do you not know Jesus? If you don't know him, you have to know him. He's the only way of salvation. If you've never cried out to God, if even now the Holy Spirit is telling you, give up those idols, you've got to give them up. And if things are popping in your head right now of stuff that you know you are more dependent on in your life than God himself, then those are idols that you need to cast down. Here's what Philippians chapter 2 says about the great king that God would send, the one Jesus, who is in the line of David. Here's what it says. So if there's any encouragement in Christ in Philippians 2, verse 1, any comfort from love, any participation in the Spirit, any affection or sympathy. Complete my joy by being of the same mind, having the same love, being in full accord and of one mind. Do nothing from rivalry or conceit, but in humility count others more significant than yourselves. Let each of you look not only to his own interests, but also to the interests of others. Have this mind among yourselves, which is yours in Christ Jesus, who, though he was in the form of God, did not count equality with God a thing to be grasped but made himself nothing, taking the form of a servant, being born in the likeness of men, and being found in human form, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to the point of death, even death on a cross. Therefore, God has highly exalted him and bestowed on him a name that is above every name, so that at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth, and every tongue confess that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. Praise the Lord for his word. The Lord has sent to us his own son who died and rose again. And the blast of this explosion is so much bigger than any nuclear bomb situation in our life, so much bigger than any idol that we would have in our heart, so much bigger than any sin that we think is going to separate us from God forever, so much bigger than any situation that's going on. We have hope because we have a king who loves us and lives now. And if we come to him and say, Lord, forgive me. Lord, I need you. Lord, I look to you. Who else can save but you? We saw it even in Asa's day that God is merciful and kind and he will save us. Don't we have a great king? He's so good. Here's the litmus test, by the way, too. Idols always have to do with our own comfort, our own selfishness, and our own desire. We like idols because they help us to feel powerful. They help us to feel like we have control, and they help us to feel like we have more convenience. They're going to do something for us. Don't treat God like an idol. This passage in Philippians chapter 2 starts with having this mind among ourselves that we consider other people better than ourselves that we look to the needs of others as we love Jesus because of who he is. In idol worship, the idols do everything for us so that we can be like gods. In true Christian worship, the Lord Jesus sacrificed himself to bring us into communion with the one true God so that we could live for him and demonstrate his love to other people. If you want to know in a litmus test of your own heart are whatever things, is coffee making you more like Jesus than others? If you have to have your coffee in silence alone with no one talking to you before you can start your day, and if people come, if a child says, hi, mommy, and you bite that kid's head off, if you're at work and you have your mug and it says, I'm the best boss ever, and an employee comes in and he says, hey, boss, and you say, dude, I will kill you if you don't get out of here. 
because I need my coffee. If you're ready to fire the whole team or whatever it is before you have coffee, then that coffee is an idol that you're looking to to serve you to make you better. Does that make sense? And the way that it's coming out is in bitterness toward other people. The Lord himself has put his own spirit upon us that when we worship him, what's going to come out of us is love toward other people, gospel toward other people, helping other people, considering other people more important than us. And so people come in and you haven't had your coffee yet, but you are steeped in the Lord. And they say, hey, boss, everything's going bad. The water company turned off the stuff. We had to cancel the meeting. They turned it back on. It blew all the seals. Everything's crazy. And the first thing out of your mouth is not, I will destroy the water company. The first thing out of your mouth is, let's look to the Lord. He's our salvation. He's our hope. All right, Lord, we trust you. Let's go clean that up. And some, something's different. Something's different, and it comes out in how we engage with the world and how we help people. And I'm telling you, if every Christian was like that, Man, it would, it would diffuse all those nuclear bomb situations around the world, wouldn't it? It would be incredible. So what do we do with this? If you know that there's sin in your life, if you have never bowed the knee to Jesus, bow the knee to Jesus. Say, Lord, who can save but you? And the Bible tells us, if you believe in him, that he will save you. If you have idols in your life, whatever it might be, cast it out. I say, Lord, I'm not going to look to anything from my source except for you. If there's anything that you say, who is mighty to save but this coffee? Whatever it is, cast it away. That doesn't mean you can never drink coffee again. It means change your thinking. Change your way. Set it aside. Come to the Lord first. Give him your whole heart. Come to him with your whole desire and see him speak because he's true. And then lastly, the way we love other people, the way... We rejoice in him, especially when we come into, the, into this season. We have a unique opportunity where people are even singing about Jesus, singing about his birth. They don't know him. What a unique opportunity we have with people who are singing songs they have no understanding about to live that understanding and to tell them about Jesus and to demonstrate the gospel to them. And so use the litmus test of how you respond to other people to look into your own heart. Are there things there that need to be rooted out as we worship Jesus completely. Why are we talking about these things? Because it's Thanksgiving. Thanksgiving is supposed to have just a happy, nice message and be done. Um, that's not yours. you're supposed to, really. That's the church growth book says, have a really encouraging message, get out early, donuts, very important, um, ask for an extra offering, this is what you're supposed to do. Um, we're not doing that because the Lord is worthy. He's worthy of our real worship. And the reality is we can go through life looking for comfort, looking for the quick way, looking for the easy way. And that's exactly what Israel had slipped into. Asa knew his history and yet had idols in every home until that big situation came. And I'm telling you, let's come back to God before the big situation comes. Let's come back to God so we're ready. We're a people who are quick with the gospel. We're a people who know him and serve him and walk with him and speak to him. We're a people who exude the gospel because he has made us his. Isn't that good? Isn't that better? I can't in good conscience just give you a, a nice, happy Thanksgiving message and walk away because the reality is the world, our world, is facing nuclear bombs everywhere. You know what I mean by that, right? And our neighbors 
are facing them every day, and we are facing them every day. And the world's pressure is upon us to conform to what it thinks. And suddenly we find ourselves thinking more about that new iPhone than we do about the Word of God. Let's not let other things creep into our heads where they take the place of God in our lives. But instead, let's give God first place in everything we do. Amen? Amen. Amen. Let's stand, please, as we pray.